right? It's so much money. And I hear people that'll find me on the streets, right? Because people know I'm into this investing thing. They'll be like, yeah, I had a friend that made 40 grand last week because they were doing that. And I, I just like, I'm like, stop, collaborate and listen. Google's back with a brand new. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. I got a question for you to kick this thing off, my friend. Go. Okay, go back through your your lyrical brain, your lyrical memories, and tell me, what is the Kanye West lyric? that first like comes to mind like like sticks with you the most Ooh, uh it's been too long it's in through the wire when he is i'm not gonna get it though because i'm i'm bad at those quotes it'd definitely be from through the wire it's first hit yeah so mine also from the early days Mm -hmm. comes up in my mind all the time i'm just kidding unless you're gonna do it i don't even know (laughs) if you remember that no but i think about that all the time People will say something and they like, they mean it, but they want to make sure that you, <laughs> that you're going to mean it or else they're like, oh, I was just joking about that. Right. I love that. Just kidding. Unless you're going to do it. I bring that up here because you know who else is playing the, I'm just kidding. Unless you're going to do it game. Musk. Close Twitter actually. And that same, that same situation. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What like, was their board thinking? It's just like, it, it makes the, the fact that they had that quick turnaround which I think fiduciary responsibility makes sense, right? The quick turnaround that they had just shows that someone needed to buy them and get them off the market because like, come on, WTF. Anyway, Kanye, you know, Musk, Twitter. Well, they're all crazy and in a good way. I like, I like Kanye and Musk. Um, but that was the most bizarre. There's been some articles written about what's, what's gone on behind the scene that, that I made my way through. The New York Times had one about like who has Musk ear. And people seem to be implying that Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, the former founder and former CEO of Twitter, uh, really encouraged Musk to take it private. And then there's been some other buzz about how dysfunctional the board is, which is interesting. Um, their actions don't make sense to me. In terms of the about face they did in less than seven days. Because they were just kidding. Unless you're going to do it. That no, was it. it was like more than that. It was like, there's no way we would ever accept this offer. Except we're accepting this offer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zero percent chance. We're going to poison pill you. We're going to put a horse head in your bed. And yeah, yeah, we'll take it. I had to pull up the Kanye West lyric. There's so many great ones. The one uh, I'd probably go to is... Trying to be a millionaire, I use two lifelines. So good. Oh, that's yeah. And through the wire. Yeah, and then when it just imagine how my girl feel on a plane scared as hell that a guy looked like Emmett Till. She's in Delta, so she's been throwing the dynasty sign. There's so oh that's, yeah. I mean it's so, like yeah, it's pretty good. We're gonna we're gonna kick this thing off with listener mail, but before we get to it, if you like what we have to offer, please go uh rate the podcast on whatever system you use to uh to listen to it. Leave a review, helps people to find us. Uh, and then hit up skippydoogles.com. That's the way you can figure out how to get in touch with us for listener mail, follow our Substack, all that kind of stuff. Check it out. One year ago today, actually, probably not, but sometime last year. I can't remember when it was actually. <laughs> oh, it's so dramatic. So, yeah. Sometime last year, you put a call out to the world 
you said, please, someone create a jingle <laughs> that could potentially follow like the itchy and scratchy from the Simpsons jingle yep. for the Skippy and Dougal show. Yep. And the world has answered your prayers. Oh, man. Special shout out here. Uh, Dan Byrne, who is a brilliant uh, musician and does a lot of music all over the place, but especially for the Tony Kornheiser Show podcast. Uh, he came to the rescue here and he hooked us up with something that makes me smile. Hilarious. It's it's reached mixed reviews in my household, Dougal. So I'll be honest about that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I smile every time I hear it. Might be a little, um, I don't know, out there, hilarious, kid-like, well, childlike. Let's I let the it. people let's let the people decide and uh, give us your your feedback once you hear this, and we'll see if this becomes our official listener mail theme song. Here Thank we go. You Dan Byrne. They fight. There it is. There it is. Oh, man. I don't have words, Doogles. It still makes me laugh. <laughs> All right. When I hear that, I think we need to... I mean, the this show is based around informal banter and hopefully banter that's entertaining, right? Uh, between people who are friends and respect each other and have known each other a long time. But uh, I think we need to fight more. It makes me feel like I'm not yelling at you <laughs> enough. <laughs> We'll see. I don't want to let the jingle down. So but there are some times, and just it happened recently, where we start, we hop on, we start talking about the things that we might discuss today, and it gets so heated that we just hit record. <laughs> like we're just yep. like, all right, we're we're in it. We're in it. So we'll see. <laughs> we got two pieces of listener mail. First one is from Josh. Thank you for sending this in. And it is about the thing that we talk about all the time, which is options being a terrible idea Ooh. for the vast majority of investors. So this piece, it was in Bloomberg. It's called Mom and Pop Investors Took a Billion Dollar Bath Trading Options During the Pandemic. There are, uh, there are some articles that are just like clickbaity, like you don't really know what it's about, right? This one, yeah. this one's very clear. It's like 25 words long, and it's letting you know that people <laughs> losing a lot of money. Couple, couple uh, points to hit on here. New research from economists at the London Business School, figured out that everyday day traders that were trading options, so options in the stock market, lost more than a billion dollars during this period of time. The time they looked at was November 2019 to June 2021. And on top of that, they're saying it's actually $5 billion, over $5 billion when you look at the cost of doing business with market makers, what they're calling it. It's basically like trading costs. That's ridiculous. The fact that trading costs are like four times what the actual trading losses are is crazy to me. I've heard that options are an incredibly lucrative business, um, but I didn't realize they were that lucrative. I think that's that's why they make up like such a large portion for Robinhood, right? That crypto uh, make up such a large portion because, like, yeah, it's and people that are getting into options. One, options are complicated. Let's just say that. Like they're they're actually a really complicated derivative instrument in buying equities, which and is the part official of the stance of the show is you should not trade options. I think it's fair to say, right, Douglas? The official stance is that the everyday and ninety nine point nine percent of people should not trade options. I only go to that like level of asterisks because there will come a point, most likely, 
where Dougal's uses options, <laughs> but but not in the way that people are here, right? Like I I would I when I say that not the way people are using here, I'm saying like not buying options on Robinhood equity to bet what it's going to do in the next week, yeah. right? It's so complex. And part of where this trading costs, they're usually, I think they're called like indirect trading costs generally in this case, because it comes from the um, the bid and ask spread of the options. I don't want to go into too much detail here, but you basically have the ask price, which is if you're going to buy a stock, that's the price at which someone was willing to sell it. The bid price is if you're going to sell a stock, the stock at which someone else is willing to buy it. And for options, sometimes that difference can be so high that what they're saying is that if you go and you buy the option and you sell it immediately, then effectively you'd be losing a whole bunch of money. And so the price change that has to happen in order for you to make up that difference is so big. And so I, I think that that's the majority when they're talking about trading costs. I think that's what they're talking about yeah. is the bid ask spread. Anyway, just like, don't do it. I, th- I think it's like in period, a billion dollars, right? It's so much money. And I hear people that'll find me on the streets, right? Because people know I'm into this investing thing. They'll be like, yeah, I had a friend that made 40 grand last week because they were doing that. And I, I just like, I'm like, stop, collaborate and listen. Dougal's back <laughs> with a brand new. <laughs> anyway. So I was out uh, with the family Friday night. We got stopped by one of my favorite local waiters. Uh, and one of my kids was playing Roblox because I'm a great parent, as you know, Dougal's, right? So just like perfect parenting happening over word, here. Word. Uh, he goes, I just bought the stock. He did not realize that he was talking to Skippy, right? So then we broke down some <laughs> fundamentals. Talked. I was like, oh, yeah, that's down 80.67. I'm making stuff up, right? But uh, I talked through uh, the business case. It's been interesting. I was like, hey, my son's really into it. I might buy it for his college savings account. I don't think it's a really good investment, blah, blah, blah. This guy doesn't know what hit him. But he, you could see he gets a little excited because he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm buying leaps, call options, two years out. And then, you know, then I decided to run away from the conversation because I actually wanted to have dinner and not talk about options with my waiter. But this stuff's <laughs> crazy hot right now. It is. And people are people are learning about a lot of this stuff for the first time, right? And retail, retail trading is bumped up over the past year. And I think it, it feels exciting. Like, I, I get why people would get into it because, like, it feels exciting. And the options are so volatile. That it is like pulling that handle on the slot machine or going all in right on that bet or, you know, trying to count cards and blackjack, whatever. It feels like the gambling parlor and it, well, it is, and it's, it's fun. Like I get that. Yeah. I I lost a billion dollars. There's a lot of lotto ticket aspect tied that it's like a lotto ticket that's tied to some fundamentals. And so that feels really fun, but your average person is going to lose money and they're going to lose a lot of money. So yep. those are just the odds that and you have going. If you are if you haven't gone into op- looked into options too much or researched or anything, here's one. If you take nothing else away from this combo about options, I'm going to say this, and you can tell me whether you think this is the one thing or not, Skippy. It's yep. this. If you buy an option, whatever strike price you buy that option at, let's say, say it's a call option, so your betting is going to go up. If it is below that price, you get zero. If it's above, you might make a little smidge smidge. But like that is that that is the most important thing I want people to take away. This is a zero, like all or nothing, basically. But it's usually like a little bit or nothing, not even all or nothing. My takeaway is don't do it. It's dumb. 
There we go. All right. So we can disagree. The The theme song is right. I will fight Dougals till to the death. No. All right. We talked. What was it? Before we go to the second piece, I think it was just like a few months ago, we were talking about that, the guy that was trading uh, the doctor that made a whole bunch of money in the stock market. Like he built his portfolio to over a million dollars. And then there was this SPAC that seemed like a sure thing, bought call options in the SPAC. It, it was something off by like a couple percentage points off the strike price. And so his portfolio went to zero. What Skippy said, do not, <laughs> do not, not going to it, not going to it. Second thing, KG sent this in. Thank you, KG. Oh, NASDAQ. Kevin Garnett. I didn't know you're a listener. What's up, bud? Thank you. Thank you. Like, he's retired. Got nothing else to do. Seriously. Yeah. Um, NASDAQ just hit its 14-month low. Now, the reason I bring this up, we, we get listener mail that sometimes we don't talk about. The reason I bring this up again is because it hit them part of the same point that we talked about kind of recently around the fact that a 14-month low to me is like not... Yeah. <laughs> Not really anything. <laughs> no, it's like, but this was the way it came out. This was just one article uh, that they sent over, but s- something similar was in multiple publications around this. And I'm like, if you say, take this out of investing, if you come to anyone and be like, you have no idea what just happened, something that hasn't happened since last year. <laughs> Yo, I had pizza on a Tuesday. That hasn't happened in 14 months, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How is this news? But it's it's like it was big news this week. Like it was big news. And if you actually look at the NASDAQ composite chart, like it's uninteresting. Like you, you look at that, that number, it's uninteresting. Now, I know it's down like 20% this year. So that feels like the pain, day to day pain feels real. No, I, I would say that differently. I think it's really interesting depending on your time horizon. But what people often don't do is they go look at what happened in April. That's the article that everyone wrote at the end of the month because nasdaq and the s p had a really rough month and then they go look at year to date that looks rough too and they go the world is ending and i go hit the five year button or the 10 year button on your little stock chart there and look how much that thing is up uh that does two things one tells you to not worry about the day-to-day or the month to month in my opinion but also tells you that Hey, there might be a lot more pain coming. So if you think this is the worst thing in the world right now, because the NASDAQ is down, I thought it was like 17% year to date or whatever it is, Dougals. Um, like, yeah, that might continue. It also might turn around. In my opinion, it's basically a coin flip from here for the short-term performance. Agreed. Can I uh, Can I reach into the fishbowl for a sec? Do you want to stick on that for a moment or can I? No, let's go. We can keep it yeah. moving. I want to reach into the fishbowl because what you just said is, uh, is vital to the core thing that I want to talk about this week, looking at time horizons and the importance of time horizons and mix that in with the importance of how you grew up, the time period in which you grew up as an investor, something that you brought up like a number of times. And uh, there were a couple pieces I saw this week that that just really brought that home for me. So the first thing I'll bring up is this tweet from Gil- Bill Gurley, the venture capitalist, Bill Gurley, who's come up a number of times on the show. Because he says smart things. Here's a tweet. An entire generation of entrepreneurs and tech investors built their entire perspectives on valuation during the second half of a 13-year amazing bull market run. The unlearning process could be painful, surprising, and unsettling to many. I anticipate denial. Preach. You said exactly right. Bill Gurley keeps saying really smart things, which is why he gets on the podcast. 
I love this guy. He's so, this is so good. I'm going to summarize this in other words. A lot of people got really excited over the last five to six years thinking they were Bull Durham. Don't know why Bull Durham, because he said bull market. Thinking they're like the hot stuff, right? And they're thinking that the way that organizations, companies are valued in the private market and in the public market are valued, are valued in the way that they've been valued for the past five years. That, that's their entire paradigm, yeah. right? That's the paradigm they grew up in. So when they start to see valuations that are closer to historic norms or maybe even lower for a period of time, <laughs> you, you want to talk about what happened last year? <laughs> that, oh, that's like, that's not even, <laughs> oh, it's painful. I get that because this is when this is your world, this is your identity, right? And the market identity, it's really, really hard. Well, you know what I loved about this is uh, bringing that intellectual idea like home with an actual example that just happened. So Musk just bought Twitter. Musk is the world's richest person with paper money. I say paper money because it's all tied up and things. It's not fully liquid. And what's happened since then, so Musk came out, it's like $43 billion. He is selling some Tesla stock to do that. He's getting debt, all these other things. The ramifications of him making that purchase are somewhat extreme. He sold, I think, $8 billion worth of Tesla stock last week, which caused a drastic decline there. The people that know the Twitter business model well are going, I think initially he's going to have a hard time servicing the debt he took on which is a part of his purchase price. So they're saying that the Twitter business model is going to have to evolve to pull out more cash, which could have long-term ramifications to not only Twitter, but all his other businesses. And the reason I use this example is just because it just happened. But Twitter's valuation is not nearly as crazy as the stuff that's going on in your average, you know, Bill Gurley type venture capital IPO space. So it... At some point when you actually have to start paying your bills, meaning you like buy a company with debt, that really hammers home a fair valuation because if you can't service the debt you took on, it's not a good company. Exactly. It's a, I started seeing this past week uh, the acronym YIMBY. Oh, yes. Which is completely separate from this conversation, but but the reason it, it came up, so that's yes in my backyard. We've talked about NIMBY before, not in my backyard, in my which backyard, is yeah. you're supportive of a concept until like it affects you and then you're not supportive of it anymore. The reason I think about uh, YIMBY in this is your whole debt point of like, that's when when things come to you, like when they when they get real for you, when you have to pay that debt is when you start to get serious. That's when you start getting in the spreadsheets, right? Like yeah. that's, that, <laughs> um, that's when you start looking at the budget, right? Like your, your budget is, it's just some spreadsheet we update every now and again for whatever, until you hit like March, 2020, then you start looking at those Netflix, <laughs> like the yep, subscriptions, because yep. you, you're uncertain about the future. What do they call it? FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's when yeah. you start looking at this stuff for real. Let me well, I think Musk this week, I bet he he dove into some spreadsheets. Like, I honestly think he goes, oh, man, I signed up for $20 billion worth of debt or whatever the final number is. And 
Tesla's great, <laughs> but it's been overvalued. Yeah, I sent you a tweet this morning, right, Dougals? He yeah. said Tesla was overvalued at 140 bucks a share, which is a long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now he has to service the debt with Twitter's cash flows. You know, I think Twitter's a very intriguing business, but it's not something that's printing money. Um, and he also says that his core tenets are free speech, eliminating bots, which would reduce the total user count and uh, maybe eliminating ads for premium subscribers. None of those things help him service his debt. Like it gets real really quick when you have to pay the bills. And I think what's going to happen over the next two to three years per Gurley's point is people are going to have to start paying the bills. And in that Bill Gurley Twitter thread, someone had a reply that I also think is pretty fascinating. Yeah, let's go. So this guy, uh, Twitter handle at Jeff is trying. Like, <laughs> keep doing it, Jeff. Keep trying. Keep trying, Jeff. Uh, here's the tweet. Some of us were on the opposite end of that, meaning that being the, the last five-year valuations. Some of us were on the opposite end of that. We cut our teeth during the second Gulf War and 2008 recession with recent memory of the dot-com bubble. We had less of a stomach for risk during this bull market because we assume everything is a bubble. Fascinating. Again, you've brought up this point time and time again around how the time when you grew up or got used to the market, grew up in, got used to that market, that market kind of dictates your, your perspective. And so you have one side of the, the Bill Gurley, what he's saying is last five years, people like valuation should be at 100x PE ratios. And then this other guy is saying, but if you if you grew up in the market of like the knots, right, the first decade yep. of the year 2000, you're like bubbles are everywhere. Like everything is a bubble. So be careful even being in there potentially. I mean, the other guys kind of me who when Tesla was at uh, 80 bucks a share was screaming that it's overvalued, not to mention that it'd go to a thousand four hundred or whatever it peaked at, and Musk would be laughing all the way to the bank. It's very true. But if you go back to our interview with William Green and you talk about staying in the game, yep. the people that stay in the game are gonna have the laugh 40 years later, you know. But it's hard to ride through this crazy. It thing. is, it is, and that's what. So uh, the Berkshire, which I know you don't care, but the the Berkshire annual meeting was this was yesterday, right? In Omaha, they did it in person in Omaha. It's awesome. And here's something that uh, Warren Buffett said during that yesterday, which relates. I I wish I had like a peanut brittle and cherry coke with me because I feel like you need those two things to actually get this right. But it's an upset stomach waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, like exactly, I just they were uh, all the live tweeting going on. I love it. And by the way, Dougals, I think I'm going to go next year. So if we want to get a little uh, Let's show, do it. Let's meet do it. and greet. Well, mark your calendars right now for a Skippy and Dougals meet and greet at uh, the Berkshire Meeting. Because literally everyone else on earth that has an investing <laughs> podcast was there. <laughs> but they, they were debating the guy. I think it's Greg Abel. That's uh, that yep, like the success is going to take over. And uh, one guy was like, well, it's a good sign he has peanut butter in front of him on the table. And it's like, it is? That has yeah, anything, like... to do, <laughs> anything to do with him running this company? I don't think so. But when we go next year, Diggles, I will probably drink some Coke and I will probably have some yes. peanut butter and I will probably vomit like two hours later. 
There you go. Hope, hopefully you vomit brilliance, like what Warren Buffett says here. He says, we haven't the faintest idea what the stock market is going to do when it opens on Monday. We never have. I don't think we've ever made a decision where either one of us has either said or been thinking we should buy or sell based on what the market is doing or for that matter, what the economy is going to do. It's the um, I'm, I'm going to get the value investing equivalent of death threats for saying this. It, they just say the same thing over and over. All the hey, questions on. are the same. What, and then what they give is the that? Same hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. I'll let you repeat what you're about to say. What is the, the value? I don't know. I, I made it up. I'm having a morning <laughs> here. But it's it's something along the lines of go buy an expensive stock. It's like, yeah, the, the equivalent of curse words. Like, go buy something at 100 price of sales or something. <laughs> you're but, right, though. What that they? It's the same answers to the same questions for forty straight years now. They're brilliant. I love them both. Uh, but I, I'm convinced people go to see other people more than they go. It, if you've followed it for a while, if you actually know about Buffett, th- there's people that discover Buffett every day. So um, yeah. I want. I don't want to steal their joy, but like it's the same exact yeah. thing every year. One of my favorite uh, articles that came out yesterday was one where the headline was some all clickbait right headline was something like warren buffett reveals his most brilliant piece of investing advice and so i'm like what could this be i click and it says he says to buy the s p 500 i I liked there was another one uh this is sarcasm but it said forty thousand people gather to hear the world's best individual stock picker tell them to pick or tell them to buy index funds. That's exactly what happens too. He goes, hey, all you idiots out there, you're not me. I'm Michael Jordan. Go buy some index funds. And uh, no. by the way, it consumes some of my products on the way out. But yeah, there you go. Support my hometown. You're absolutely right, though. And there is, that's like the, the simplistic brilliance, I think, of it all is that they do say the same things over and over again. It's like, the you have the pandemics going on right what does warren buffett do he pulls out his black and white faxed over slides <laughs> effectively and starts going <laughs> showing them and it says like bet on america look america has grown if you look at this <laughs> over decades look at what america did right you're killing me like this is that's what he does and then you come 2021 and the market is going haywire with all like the you know the stocks that are they're going crazy last year and they're like what does warren buffett say Look at America. America's good to bet on. I mean, it's just, he just, he just you like rinse and repeat every year, right? You just do America the same is, is big. We have to move things around the country. Railroads are great. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, it's I like simple. Coke. It tastes good. I drink some every day. I bought some. <laughs> yeah, American I mean, Express is kind of cool. Oh my goodness. I'll buy some of that. It easy. Like, All right. What's in your fishbowl? Couple just random facts for you. I think I'm, I want to do a real estate quiz with you, but as we transition to that, I saw this this week and I guess I haven't fact checked it, but these stats always boggle my mind. So Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, which is Google, Microsoft, and Meta, which is Facebook, generate $1.4 trillion worth of revenue, if, if you can believe this tweet. Guess which country that's more than? Tell me. More than Mexico. We have four companies in the U.S. that generate more revenue than Mexico. I don't know. It just baffles my mind. Those are 
big big companies yeah it's hard to yeah. i wonder i wonder what actually makes up the gdp of mexico it's about like if you broke out like what pemex semex uh, avocados and tequila call it good yeah um that is it's that is big though i mean those uh even if you look at the the earnings in the u.s like on the u.s stock markets like they make up a pretty it's decreasing now but they make up a pretty sizable portion from an earnings perspective obviously from market cap perspective of like what u.s companies do too so it's that's yeah, it's interesting i never looked at it in that way i also heard a story this week who knows if it's true um of a manufacturing company in industrial farming that needed semiconductors they found semiconductors that would work for their needs in washing machines so they purchased a thousand washing machines took out the semiconductors and threw them away if you believe this folklore. <laughs> to me that's fascinating those things are valuable <laughs> they're valuable Apparently. right now yeah yeah i i love that it's what's going back to the uh mexico thing sorry you just you got me yeah got me thinking about this here this market, as we've talked about a few times, is fascinating. It's just it's really interesting because there's so much about it that's just different we've seen in previous times. One of the things that I think is most interesting is you have the markets are dropping and they've been basically um, universally unequivocally dropping for the whole year. I mean, if you like there's the, the market has not really been up. I think maybe a couple days in January has it been up from where it started, right? Any of the indices. So that's happening. Then you have the, we're through about half, I think, of Q1 earnings so far. And somewhere around 80-ish percent, I think it might be 75, 80%, somewhere in there, of companies are beating their earnings estimates. But the companies that aren't are the ones that have had like large, like some of the ones you just named, that have had large like market caps before, which are getting hit hard and taking down parts of the indices. And so the reason I find this to be interesting is, I don't know if it's like a reversal or what it might be, but I think it's interesting because if you look at previous big downturns, like if you look at the 2008, 2009, or 2007, 2009, when you look at um, early 2000s, right, with the dot-com, earnings were getting smashed during those, or they or they didn't exist, right, if you go to the yeah. dot-com piece. like. Yep. And so now we're having, as of right now, this could change throughout the course of the year and we're only halfway through Q1, but you still have companies that are producing a lot of earnings. They just weren't the companies that were doing it before. And so the bottom being out, what I mean by that is like a, it being able to fall through the bottom right now, just, it doesn't seem like that would be the case. Who know, You never know with the market, but it doesn't seem like that would be the case. So it's really fascinating. Does that make sense? It does in a way. It, it almost feels like the inequality we see in day-to-day -day life between the haves and the have-nots also mm. exists in the stock market. There's like these incredible companies that seem to be able to print money. And then there's the others. And the the in-between seems less like, oh, this is a solid company with solid earnings that can weather storms. I'm sure there's a bunch of those. But right now, I think the contrast between the haves and the have-nots gets highlighted in the stock market. I mean, I feel like there's the alphabets and the Microsofts and the Apples. And then there's the, who's a good example? I mean, the Robin Hoods <laughs> or like <laughs> these companies that just are down 70, 80% and maybe going down 90% here shortly because they don't seem to have resilience with their profitability that's going to stop the fall yeah. off. I'm probably going to go too far with this, but. 
one one way I'm thinking about this is if you in any given stock market, if you take the companies that are the like talk of the town, I'll say like the ones when people think of the stock market at that period of time, if you take what those companies are, the ones that are getting all the attention and you take them to zero market cap, what happens to the market is like a question. And if the answer to that is, well, the market is basically gone, then we got issues, right? So like if you go into like 2007, 2009, a lot of what was happening there, like it was about real estate. And if you're like, if you take real estate banking, right? If you take those and you like slice them in half or cut them down to almost zero, what happens to the market? Market gets crushed. If you go to the early 2000s, it was the Cisco's of the world, you know, et cetera. If you take them far down, market gets crushed. If you go over the last couple of years, I'm putting Fang aside for a sec, like not yeah. all of Fang or am that you just talked about aside for a sec. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of what was getting a lot of attention were like the Zooms and the, basically Kathy Wood's portfolio, Zoom, Tesla, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If you take those to zero or close to, the market gets hit, but not taken out. Yeah. And that's kind of what we've seen over the last six or seven months is those stocks are down 80 plus percent, not Tesla so much, but those stocks are down like 80 plus percent and the market got hit and the going back to the fear, uncertainty and doubt, I think folks are kind of currently just like, what's going to happen to like the big players. And when they see hints of like meta, right, doing anything (laughs) because like meta was effectively like it was hit so hard that it was, it was priced to like be terrible. And they came out with their earnings and their earnings were like, meh. And so it went up 20%, right? Like they're, they're yep. still, they're, they're not really discounting those. I don't know if I'm going too far, if I'm making sense, but th- those are just some, some thoughts. I agree with what you're saying. This is why the market's so interesting. It just feels different than the past uh, corrections yep. that we've had, or at least the, in the recent past. And I can't wait to see, like to your point, if the say the five most valuable companies in the world all have resilient and strong earnings and then not the rest but a large majority of companies don't what does that ultimately mean i mean we could do the math for what does that ultimately mean for the movement in the s&p but it's less drastic than it would be otherwise it feels like there's just different pockets of the market yeah it's just weird i it's it's such a it's such a weird of market right now there's a what's what's happening under the surface we don't even know quite yet but we're i think we're going to find out this year as to whether there's a there's a there there once you start taking a lot of this tech out of there but anyway deep thoughts you, you there's were going a there, into a there when you take the tech out of there yeah <laughs> there, there's a there there with there with you know we're you know i'm talking about there over there okay <laughs> i feel like you talked about this a while back so i just want to Type of the conversation you've been talking about how fast wages are rising relative to productivity and i think the thing that the flip side of that is how cost of living and specifically home values rise with wages right so it's like productivity is here which means wages are here and then sometimes home prices are moving with wages sometimes they're moving in opposite directions since 2007 Home values have increased 2.8 times faster than income on average in the 50 largest metros in the U.S. Pretty pretty stark contrast for home affordability, yes. right? Yep. yep. So 
according to this article in Real Estate Witch, <laughs> they, yeah, I had to be really careful saying that one. Uh, they <laughs> break down average home values against average income to give you a, they call it a price to in, home price to income ratio, a cost, uh, the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the United States, Dougals. I think we might have mentioned this a few weeks back. So like any guesses on the most affordable metropolitan area in the United States? With that, using that ratio? Using that ratio. And this methodology, which I don't think is perfect, but I think you'll get the drift of... Somewhere in Texas or somewhere in Arizona? Ah, great guesses. No, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, followed mm. by Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Followed by Oklahoma City, St. Louis. There's lots of Ohios in here. Um, so it's kind of Rust Belt heavy. And now, is that because of, is that flip- largely because of, I don't know if you can see the individual numbers, because of income or because of home prices? Like are both yeah, so very low, the, but the ratio is high or is it? Yeah, go ahead. So for Pittsburgh, I mean, this is awesome. Like Pittsburgh is clearly a great pace, place to live from this metric. The average income, uh, and I believe this is an average family income in Pittsburgh is 84000 dollars and eighty four thousand eight hundred dollars the average home value is a hundred and ninety thousand how nice is that man yeah that's like yeah that feels affordable wow right you contrast with the most expensive cities and actually i'm shocked at a little shocked at the number one city on this list any guesses seattle i would have guessed uh, so los angeles california followed by uh, Silicon Valley, San Jose, and then San Francisco, yeah. then yeah. San Diego, then New York. Average income in Los Angeles, they have it at 80,000. Um, and home value is 782K. Yeah, it's it's hard when you have a, so one, a place that like LA that's so big. So and big. so like the range is vast. I'm assuming that when they say average here, they, they're talking about the mean, not the median. The, it actually says average, which would be the, the wrong metric, in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> um, and I said, t- I said, I don't love this analysis. I think it's directionally correct, but I, I wanted to talk through it because I find it interesting. Yeah. It, it is interesting. So I've been hung up on this metric and I've been trying to find good analysis on it um, since I heard a Jeremy Grantham podcast like three months ago. And he had, I think, better statistics than this where he broke down just some common sense stuff on... And Seattle was one of the ones he mentioned. His number for Seattle was like seven times income. And he was like, just look at all of history. Seven times income, 10 times income does not work. There will be a correction that has to happen. It doesn't matter. Um, When people compare the housing market today to the housing market during and the lead up to the housing crisis and like the Great Recession, they often say, well, look, there's a lot less debt. People are making more cash offers. There's all these differences where people say it's different this time. And I think there are some fundamental differences. But I also think there's certain like home to income levels that are just unsustainable. And I do feel that there's certain communities that are reaching those. It kind of goes back at least a little bit to the conversation we're having near the beginning of the episode today around like when, when things come to roost, right. When you act, you have to pay down your debt or like when you, act, when you start looking at the spreadsheet, uh, what does it come down to? And I think that that's where some of these issues are faced, meaning that the people overextending themselves to buy the, the high priced home 
right? And then they're probably, they see themselves able to buy that because of the valuations of their stock portfolio or because of the income or whatever they might have right now. But if you, like the moment that drops, are they able to afford it? Question mark. I think that's one side of it. The other side comes, um, I'd say, even, even if the nothing else because of optics, meaning if you are someone that is a, of a lower wage, right? That's on that, that side of the equation. And you see the average home, excuse me, the average home price at 700 K that you're just like pissed. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And so, and when I say optics, I don't mean that there aren't also just real hardships for that person. I just mean that even, even if it was just optics, like that still is a sucky thing like to see that I'm this person in the community that's wherever I am and making this amount of money and people are buying million dollar homes. What's wrong with me? What are they doing to me? What's happening? Right. That, that's a, it's a really tough yeah. one. Yeah. So here's, I'll try and put a bow on this. It, it, I think it tells the same story, right? So if you look at uh, the year 2000, you look at these 50 metropolitan areas, you average them all. The price to income ratio was about three times. So okay. if I make a hundred K the average home price is 300 K um, that seems fairly affordable. If you fast forward to 2021, to use the same methodology across all of the U.S., these 50 metropolitan areas, that goes to 4.1. So homes are more expensive relative to income. I don't yeah. think anyone argues that. If you look metropolitan by metropolitan, like in 2000 in Seattle, the price to income ratio was 3.5. Today, it's 5.5. And we just talked about L.A. Today, it's 9.8, which seems clearly unsustainable. Um, and in the year 2000, it was 4.9. So homes have doubled in their affordability over wow. the last 21 years in Los Angeles. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's big. You put all this stuff I'll together, put that on, it's not a good scenario. I'll put that on the Twitter and you guys can uh, laugh at the direct, directionally correct analysis there. It's good. It's good talking points, though. What else you got? Bloomberg wrote this article like three weeks back called the can't lose betting strategy that's taking gambling out of sports gambling. Good title, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So being the value investor that I am, I was fascinated by this and I shared it with a couple friends uh, because I have some value investor friends who are just as much of a cheapskate as me, Dougals, who are always about making a few bucks for free. <laughs> I had a friend this week who successfully executed this strategy in Colorado where sports betting is legal. The initial article was written for New York, but it's basically all the same. All right. So there's like 10, five to 10 betting services. I'll, I'll walk you through his experience. Um, and he actually gave me the dollars and cents if we want to go there. So you find two betting services that offer a thousand dollar risk free bet and Dougal's being the the Vegas lover that you are I bet you know some logistics on how that might work so it's tilted in the favor of the gambling house any ideas I'll just state this I like risk full bets so like I see stuff like this I run the other direction I want all the risk if it's risk free I'm not interested <laughs> you could not be serious I, I am serious I'm just like because I go when I when I go to Las Vegas to bet and this is put the poker table aside. That's a whole different scenario. But with the other games, like a uh, sports betting, blackjack, 
whatever else that I'm playing, it's to me, it's about gambling. Like it's, it's actually not even about making money. I li- I'm literally like, like the first day of March Madness this year, I won too many bets. So the <laughs> second day I was like, I was like, I need to change up my strategy. Um, cause I, I'm making too much money. So I got to start betting on you other such are things. nonsensical. You deserve to be kicked off the, <laughs> the Skippy and Dougal's podcast. All right. So, so the way it works is you, uh, you would sign up for two accounts and with each of these accounts, they give you a thousand dollar risk-free bet. What that means is if you put a thousand bucks in and bet it and lose, they'll give you a thousand dollars to try again. Basically you can't take that the the thousand dollar promo out because they want you to bet it because if you bet it you're more likely to lose it right yeah so you open these two accounts or this is what this guy did this is what's detailed in the reddit article he opens two accounts he bets on the same game with opposite teams so i'm looking at the nba playoff schedule right now uh, to give you an example the milwaukee bucks play the boston celtics in one account he bets on the bucks to win the game in the other account, he bets on the Celtics to win the game. And he adjusts his bet based on the current odds of that to make sure that regardless of who wins, he gets the exact same amount of winnings. That means he he probably has to put a little more money in to the favorite because the return on that isn't as great. I don't want to go into like yep. sports sense. betting. But say say you put $1,000 on one team and you might have to put 1200 on the other team to get your winnings to be the same regardless of who wins. That's your first bet. What that means is you lose one and you win one. When you win, let's just for simplicity's sake, say your 1000 turns into 2000 bucks. Then you have 2000 bucks in one account and you have 1000 bucks in the risk-free bet promo come to the account you lost. Then you do the same thing over again, probably on the same teams a day later and structure it. So your winnings are the same. One of those teams is going to win and you're ultimately going to end up with about 3000 bucks for your initial $2,000 investment. You pull the money out. You never touch those services again and you go. Cause the, the promos say that you can't take the money out after your first bet you have to place another bet but after you have that second bet then you can start taking money off the table yeah so if your second bet with the promo money wins when it wins you can pull it out if your second bet with the promo money loses it doesn't matter because you won in your other account with the real money so there you go the way he did this he did the elaborate math he actually i loved it because he like showed me all the steps right it, it was an investment rather than a gamble. And what he said was so funny about it is like he didn't even watch the games because the games were boring because the outcome did not matter at all because he got the sa- the exact same to the penny. Yeah. See, uh, payout. This is this is why this stuff to me, it's not investing. That's not the itch that it scratches <laughs> for me. It's not investing. So what I do is I take it's free money. I, t- I take both of those accounts and I bet the same way. On both of them. That's what I want to do. Diggles, this is not a strategy for you. <laughs> no, it's it's really not. I read I read this and I went, that's smart. Put it all on black. <laughs> so it is yeah. though. This is the equivalent. Like the world just cracks me up because it's the equivalent of being able to go be like hundred on red, hundred on black, and somehow 
guaranteeing that that turns into $300. Like, no casino is dumb enough to do that. But you can play these guys against each other. And they obviously don't know that you have hedged your bets across multiple bookies. But it's hilarious. No, they don't. But the the way that they win in the long run, assuming that they do, is that they know human emotions and human psychology. It's kind of bringing it back to the investing thing. Yeah, so what you can do by VTI, by SPY, like Warren Buffett said, and just let yeah. it sit. And I'm going to say guaranteed. We all know it's not guaranteed, but I'm just going to use that for this sake. And you have a guaranteed 7 to 8% for the next 50 years of your life. And that's pretty wonderful. Yep. And they go, oh, yeah, I see that guaranteed money. So I'm going to buy options on Robinhood. Right. Like that, that is human psychology. Like that, that's what we do, which is where like these, um, these houses these gambling houses. They understand that. So they know that after that second bet, even if you did this after that second bet, you're going to now see the suns are playing. You're going to go, oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I might as well bet on that. It's risk-free money anyway. Um, yeah, I, I'm yeah, you're right. <laughs> it feels I don't have that's you stopped humans, me. Man. You stopped humans. me, Douglas. Humans, humans humans are horrible. The human brain. Not so good. All right. Let's wrap let's wrap it up on that optimistic note. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh the articles I mentioned today we got on the Twitter. You know you uh, which is at Skippy Douglas. You know you can hit us. Skippydougals.com. Uh we appreciate the listener mail. Let us know what you think of the funny jingle. Um, hope it made you smile. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.